Hello, welcome to Vitech Talks, the podcast. I'm Steve Brandt of Vitech, and this is where we discuss the trends and pressing issues, and certainly the important events shaping the group benefits and retirement industries. With the experts, leaders, and yes, even characters that make our industry what it is. This is a fast, fun way to gain insights and opinions on the topics we all care about. And I'm sure it'll be the best 15 minutes you can spend to keep yourself informed. And I promise, entertained. Hello, hello, everybody listening. Um, and welcome back to another episode of Vitech Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Brandt, as usual. And once again, I have a very exciting uh, topic of conversation here today. Going to go on a little bit of a, a different path and stop talking about technology for a moment and talk about retirement, retirement security. And when we say retirement security, we mean securing people with their retirement, not technology security. Uh, and we have a very special guest who's the executive director of the National Institute on Retirement Security, Dan Doonan. Dan, just say a quick hello, and then I'll do your, I'll read your intro for the folks. All right. Hello, and really appreciate the opportunity to join you. Absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation, Dan. Dan Doonan is the executive director, as I mentioned, of the National Institute on Retirement Security. And Dan leads the organization organization strategic planning, retirement research, and education initiatives. He has over 20 years experience working on retirement issues from different vantage points, including as an analyst, consultant, trainer, and even a plan trustee. Uh, in these roles, the consistent theme has been his belief that Americans have, share, have a shared interest in creating and maintaining a resilient retirement infrastructure that provides adequate financial support in an efficient manner. It's a very lofty, lofty mission. Uh, he comes to NERS after serving as a NERS is what they say, National Institute of Retirement Security. NERS, you're going to hear that word a lot out there. After serving as a senior pension specialist with the National Education Association, co-authoring a book called Characteristics of Large Public Education Pension Plans, which is a detailed report and is considered to be a definitive resource of information about large public education retirement plans. Actually began his career at the Department of Labor as a mathematical statistician, spending several years after that at Buck Consultants doing actuarial analysis. So um, Dan, that's a pretty, pretty lofty background you have there. And, I feel like we certainly have the right guy to be talking about retirement and pensions in, in, in particular. So um, tell us a little bit from your own words, a little bit about, you know, what, what you're going after every day and, 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 and what you're trying to accomplish at NERS. Yeah, thanks. And we're, we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan sort of think tank on retirement research. Um, so we like to put out research that is useful to folks in our community. And that includes looking at pensions, um, 401ks, savings, you know, the sort of you're on your own side of retirement, 
um, as well as thinking about Social Security and some of the policy issues on the federal level. We don't lobby, but we do research, and um, hopefully that's useful to the folks that get more involved in that. Supporting politicians and lobbyists with that research, they use that a lot. Or who, who, do you, who do you find uses your research the most? I think, I think it's a lot of retirement systems. So we do a lot of work around public pension plans. So um, we have members coming from that space as well. And, you know, we put out, there's a lot of conversation about what the costs are of pensions, of savings, you know, the tax incentives, all the things that go into retirement. Um, we also look at the outcomes, you know, the economic impact of those dollars and, you know, the back end of why we're putting all these resources into retirement. The benefits thereof. That's great. To the greater society, not just the individual, but also to the whole, to the whole, which is, which is really right. good. Yeah. Um, well, well, fantastic. Well, fantastic. So you'd be the, a great guy to ask this question. You know, what's this current state of our retirement across the country? You know, it's, you know, chasing the retirement, call it, uh, infrastructure, as you put it in this country, has been something that's been going on for a long time, right? A lot yeah. of energy behind getting people more prepared for retirement. It seems to be a something that we're not, always, we're not able to reach very easily. So what's your what's your opinion on what's happening out there today? What's the, what's the state of the union here? Yeah, we, we really have a fairly complicated and piecemeal system. Um, you know, there's a reason you see TV shows and podcasts advising people you know, how to prepare for retirement. And you can't do one or two shows that sort of covers everyone's needs. Uh, you have Social Security, fairly complex itself, pensions, and then the savings types plans, right? 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, and they all have different limits, different tax treatment. So I think, you know, having much of a retirement system run through employers does make it more complex. Um, with rollovers, leakage, things like that. But at the same time, it, it brings economies of scale. Employers play an important role in bringing economies of scale to retirement, building retirement resources for workers, brings down fees, and fees have been coming down, um, at least during the years when workers are in their employer plan. You know, post-retirement, you might go out on your own. But for me, there's really two areas that just really need to be improved. First, half of workers don't participate in any plan in the workplace. Um, so we know if you're half of workers are being left out, there's a lot of people that aren't going to have those resources beyond Social Security. And we know if you're in a workplace plan, you're more likely to save a little bit each paycheck. And that, that really does work um, much better. And then for savings-based plans, we have to solve the post-retirement problem. You know, you accrue money during your working years, but you're on your own in retirement. You got to figure out spend down. You might live another five years or another thirty-five years. So well, let's let's tackle those two because it's very interesting that you open up with that. Why only half? Well, why why don't people participate, or just half half of these employers just don't offer anything? Yeah, it, it's a little more than half that have access to a plan, and a little less than half that participate. So the wow. participation rate really isn't the problem. It's more of, you know, we keep trying to incentivize employers to offer plans, but, you know, employers is a broad category. It, it counts, you know, 
General Electric and Google. It also counts someone who's you know running a lawn care business. Right. And when you look at smaller business, they're much less likely to provide a plan for workers. And that's really where we see the big gaps. And different industries are behave differently as well. So, you know, if you have a lot of high paid employees, you're probably going to offer something. But service industry, less likely to offer plans. Um, and incentives have moved the needle a little bit, really not as much as we'd hope in terms of getting employers more involved. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you've got all those small businesses, whether they be part-time workers or full-time workers or tip workers or young people who don't see retirement as a big issue, work in those industries a lot, right? It's kind of hard to kind of get the message across. And then the employers don't really have an incentive to to do anything because maybe those employers, those employees move on. It's very, very transient, right? A lot of churn. Um, and the rise of gig work, right? We and then the gig work, right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, so... So that's interesting. So how do you how do you close those gaps? I know there's been recent leg legislation with um, a Secure 2.0, but I mean, what, how do you how does that those gaps get closed? Well, I think the good news is there's pretty broad agreement amongst researchers, policymakers, the firms working in this space, and retirement's really not as partisan. You know, when you talk about healthcare, you sort of have partisan divide. We don't see that as much on retirement. So, you know, the secure bills 1.0 and 2.0 um, moved to make auto enrollment more easy, more easy for employers, solid default choices. I think early in the 401k uh, life cycle, people would default money into the safest investments so they didn't get sued instead of the most appropriate investments. Um, we're seeing more auto escalate, but it is important to realize we're fine tuning a system that gets, you know, misses half of workers, right? Yeah. Um, the employer plans are still missing a lot of people. And there's efforts to figure out how to make 401ks more of an income program than a savings program. Now, that's been moving a little slower, but to offer in plan options for lifetime income uh, for workers. And, you know, when you do that, you're buying some sort of annuity at a wholesale price instead of retail. And you also have employers playing a role in selecting appropriate products. So there's some benefits to doing that. But again, employers can be a little slow because they want to make sure they don't offer something and later, you know, face lawsuits because, you know, the regs change or something like right. that. So it's been slow moving, but we do see an emphasis on trying to move in that direction. Interesting. So kind of a an annuity plan that that, that would get purchased right at the beginning of their program, or is that something we could be purchased at the tail end? Or is it I'm trying to understand how that gets people to how that closes the gap as opposed to just help somebody who has a 401k manage it when they go into retirement. I, I think that's that's where the industry is more of when you reach retirement having a spend down plan and yeah. you know beyond annuities it may be that you sort of have a robo advisor saying this is how much you can take out and still be safe right having some of those things built into systems that make retirees feel like hey i should stay here during retirement and not feel obligated to take their money out and go figure it out on their own right right 
yeah, they did that kind of forced forced choice thing there in 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 the European markets, right in the UK, I think. And yeah. all these people took out their full lump sum money, and it and it was like woefully under. Uh, you know, under what they would have had if they just kept it in for another five years or six years or something like that. And they just didn't quite get it, you know? Yeah, I think uh, most of us are used to living with paychecks, not yeah. managing wealth to provide income. And to ask people at retirement to suddenly change their mindset around money, I think it, it creates some problems. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. But then, of course, we all have Social Security, right? Um What's your stance on that? I mean, is it going to run out? And, you know, what happens? Yeah. So I, you know, my take on, we've been listening for years to there's a projected shortfall in the future. And I think we often see that as a sign of failure. Um, I, I would reframe that a little bit. Social Security's rates that we pay were set in 1983. Um, we've had 40 years of flat rates that are projected to last 10 more. I don't think any other, you know, insurance products or anything like that are working off of actuarial work that was done in the early 80s. Um, I was probably asking my parents for Atari back then. <laughs> so, you know, in my mind, um, they did a good job last time, but the way the rates are set, you do financial projections, you try to make the outflows and inflows basically match over time. And, you know, we have to update it. We've known for a while this is coming. Um, I think the failure is really amongst policymakers to have the courage to take this on because right. it, the choices there aren't great. It's either on the benefit side or more revenue. No one's going to like either of those. Um, but at the same time, I think Social Security actuaries have been really on top of this. Um, but a lot of things happened that we didn't know would happen. We knew we'd live longer. We didn't know that um, you know inequality would rise, which impacts Social Security. Birth rates would fall as much as they have, and that all plays into Social Security's finances. Yeah, that makes that makes absolute sense, but. Yeah, I think I feel like our whole lives, right, we've been grappling with Social Security um, issues from a political standpoint. You hear it every cycle, and yeah. it sounds like we have to do something at some point pretty quickly. Um, so let's get to the topic that you uh, that you really like to talk about, Dan. Come on, let's be honest, right? Let's talk pensions. Um, you know, because I think that's, that's your background, and that's uh, NERS has been kind of – focus there quite a bit. And look, pensions are, are, I think people just understand pensions more than any other financial instrument out there, aside from just a regular savings program. I think what they understand the most is, I'm guaranteed to get what they tell me at the end, right? right. Okay. <laughs> so it's very comforting and it's easy to kind of wrap your head around. Um, but they've been under attack for decades. They've been shrinking. Um, but you have some thoughts about uh, pensions making a comeback and becoming more modernized. And certainly we see it in the, in the news with what's happening with the UAW asking for more pension programs, not less. So it's, it's certainly top of mind, I think, here in this country still to this day. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, you know, we've seen a lot of attacks on the public sector pension industry 
um, since the Great Recession. But we really haven't seen many plans close. We've seen a lot of customization in what type of benefits are offered, how they're funded. So we've seen a lot of changes. But I think other than North Dakota, a subset of their employee, public employees, um, which just passed a bill, plans haven't been closing their statewide plan. Now, there were a couple of state plans before the Great Recession that had already closed. And I think there's an anticipation there would be a stampede to follow them, and there really haven't. Um, so, you know, I think some of this gets into what is what industry are you in? And what do you need as an employer? And, you know, it wasn't clear to me Walmart wanted a 30-year employee in their business model. Manufacturing, they did. They wanted you to come in when you're young, spend your career with them, know the job well. Um, In the public sector, you find a lot of unique work. You know, teachers, firefighters, police officers, there's nowhere you can go in the private sector and replace those folks if they leave. Um, a lot of unique work, and we do see higher retention. The public sector offers pensions. They have longer tenures. It's remarkably common to have a teacher that's got 20 years under their belt or a firefighter that's going to retire from that job. Um, So, you know, in my mind, I think there's a little bit of the business model how you want to manage your workforce. And pensions are pretty effective about creating loyalty. And if that's your goal, I think it remains a really good tool. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, um, but shouldn't that be everybody's goal? <laughs> shouldn't that be in everybody's business model? Loyalty, longevity, keeping people around as long as possible, making them want to come to work and saying, you know, I have a long-term, you know, prospect with this company, and they and they they and they're investing in me through this pension program. I mean, what's wrong with that in any business? I mean, I you know that's that's my <laughs> mindset. how I would want to run things. But I think when you just look at the benefit offerings and in the way, you know, business has changed over the course of my lifetime, um, I think there's been a move away from that. Yeah, there has. Somebody got up one day and decided that they didn't want that pension liability anymore. It wasn't good for the bottom line. It wasn't good for their shareholders. And so let's, let's phase that out and go in a different route. And now it's just, okay, let's just compete for the same employees over and over again. Or let's buy more, uh, you know, that's the business we're in. Let's buy more life insurance or disability insurance or pet insurance and, you know, compete that way. They're still spending the money. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But they're just doing it in a way that, you know, promotes almost, I wouldn't say disloyalty, but it certainly isn't hardened loyalty by an employee. You're promoting um, a a workforce that that sees themselves in six to eight different career jobs throughout their throughout their lifetime yeah um so it's an interesting dynamic i i think when you look around the pension industry now there's examples where you can run pensions in a way where the costs are not very volatile right south dakota's done it wisconsin's done it we have cost sharing we have funding strategies to make costs more level so the examples are there but i think if you're a corporate HR manager and you walk up, you know, the CEO and say, we want to put in a pension. Like people just won't even take another look. Yeah. It's like being a, it's like being a technology salesman saying, you want to buy my COBOL system, right? I mean, you know, this legacy platform. (laughs) There's not going to get past the first hello, right? Yeah. There's a perception problem there. (laughs) 
kind of a shame, actually. So well, how do you see, what do you think is going to happen at that UAW uh, negotiation? Are they going to bring pensions back for new employees and younger employees after they spent all this time trying to phase these things out? I, I don't know. I don't have any insight to what the outcome will be. But one of the things we've seen is a lot of the plans, the corporate plans they closed, eventually you have a lot of retirees and no workers in those plans and you're spending down assets, which is tricky. And then you've seen a lot of companies go and buy out annuities that were incredibly expensive over the last decade. And I think, you know, if you reevaluated some of those decisions, especially now that interest rates went up a little bit, that might look like a waste. So you know, I mentioned there's other ways to do pensions other than, you know, the 1950s model. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what the conversations are there, but I hope I hope they're productive. Uh, so there's a good outcome on both sides. Yeah, I would I would I think I think I would oh, you I'd keep pushing on that because everything is cyclical, right? Things come back, especially things that make sense and were fundamentally and foundationally. Um, you know, strong, right? And pensions is, is one of those. I mean, it's a proven, it's a proven uh, positive for so many people. Yeah. Um, In one of our reports, we look at better bang for the buck, and we've done three iterations. So the last one was 3.0. Um, but we look at the economic efficiency of pensions versus self-run savings. Plans. Yeah. And there's a couple of key reasons why pensions really provide more benefits per dollar going in. You know, you have the pooling of mortality risk. So if you and I both retire the same year, we don't live the same length, all the dollars are going to pension benefits. Whereas you might pass away early and none of those dollars go to retirement, but for someone else, they run out. And you also have another big area is once you get to post-retirement, you really should invest different. And that's inefficient in itself, right? You're going to put money into things with lower returns. So it's great that a 25-year-old can invest aggressively, but no one has money when they're 25, right. right? The years when you have the most money are the years when you really need to be downshifting on investing. And it makes that long-term return on in investments much lower. That's well said, Dan. And I think that um, that last statement you just made is is perfect um, for us to kind of wrap this conversation up as we've kind of running out of time here. But I'll give you one last one last minute here if you were going to make whether it's that same statement said in a different way or something else you want to let the audience know about you know the importance of retirement and um, you know please have at it. Okay. I will first thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And to your team, I, you know, I hope they see value in what they're doing because uh, providing an individual, you know, and a lot of times this is the people that serve our communities, you're serving them. So I hope people see value and feel good about the work they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And that's it, folks, for today. I want to thank Dan Noonan. It's been a great conversation. Uh, got me all energized talking about retirement savings because, you know, I'm at least 30 years away from that at this point. So, you know, I'm starting to think about it. <laughs> you can't see me, but that's a joke. Uh, and <laughs> um, 
And we'll see you next time on Bytech Talks, the podcast. Thank you, everyone.